0: Popcorn Junkies at last I have watched episodes 1 and 2 of The Rings of Power The Lord of the Rings at last we are going on an adventure Bilbo this is the multi million pound most expensive ever streaming series ever made in the world uh, obviously this is Amazon Prime's uh, or Tolkien's sort of uh, someone said the other day why do we have to view House of the Dragon and um Rings of Power as in opposition why do we have to see them as fighting each other why are they two fantasy land behemoths beating the shit out of each other? we don't have to why can there not be room for both of them and I think that's an important aspect of this review so I think I don't know what you think right from the off an awful lot of people want this to fail lots of critics I'd say I think it's got about 80% on Rotten Tomatoes 80% of critics are liking it or you know that's what Rotten Tomatoes says But there's a huge, huge, huge groundswell of fans um, and viewers who don't like it. Or are they bombing the reviewing um, websites and platforms? We don't know. There's definitely racism in there for some reason. uh, There's uh, there's a real intolerance uh, for the idea that you could have any actors of color playing anyone within what is already an incredibly diverse world middle earth you don't get much more racially diverse than actually the world of middle earth um Tolkien unwittingly in his generation for his generation created a world of many many different races and it strikes me that within those races you can um dispel and dispense with this idea of race uh, of and color of the actors playing them because this is a world of every hue and every color so I feel that there is a real desire to pull this down because people are hiding racism behind arguments of authenticity they're sort of they're trying to suggest that um whilst on the one hand they're willing to believe there are such things as hobbits dwarfs and elves but on the other they can't extend their imagination to think that there would have been elves hobbits and dwarfs uh, of many different colours and hues too. And that's what this offers up. Okay, they're not hobbits, they're Harfords. And that's another thing, there is another issue with this series and that many Tolkien purists, let's, let's go to the side of the sort of uh, latent sort of racism, feel that this isn't a, a, a pure kind of manifestation, portrait or treatment of Tolkien's Middle Earth. It's set obviously before the films of Peter Jackson, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. This is set in the second age. This is prior to, I believe, I'm getting a grip grip on this because although I'm a Tolkien fan, I'm not a Tolkien scholar. Uh, And so I'm getting a sense of, great, this is neatly parked before the forges that create the rings. That's exciting. But also I think something else that this has come in for criticism for, from some of those critics that I don't think understand fantasy is the House of the Dragon. We're, I'm really enjoying. We're really enjoying. I think it's a real return to form. I think it's everything that Game of Thrones was good at, if not better. Tightly acted, authentically acted, realistically played and portrayed a sense of real medieval sort of fantasy land with dragons, a family feud and all that. And I've been talking a lot about the fact that what I think works in that really well is they're starting small, though it's big because it's the House of Targaryen, but they're starting small insofar as it's a family dispute, and that's going to get larger. And my concern with this, The Rings of the pa- Rings of Power, was that we were going to start. We're starting with an age. And we've got to get to know all of these different, essentially, communities, the diverse races of Middle Earth, so that we can understand how the encroaching darkness, the encroaching spectre of Sauron, of, of the darkness of orcs and all the rest of it, how that impacts on them. And that concern was the concern that I came into this with. So, settings, so what, come on, what have we got here? Well, one of the things that I really want to say from the outset is this is a different kind of fantasy treatment to Game of Thrones. You've got to be up for, I mean, I know I've seen a lot of critics sort of saying, oh, there's a lot of, I quite like this description. There's a lot of kind of, who did the fart in here acting. You know, that thing where people go. And I know what they mean. A little bit serious, a little bit sort of, you know, um, portentous, a, a lot of gravitas to something that's essentially fictional and, and a bit silly, but that is high fantasy. And I'm, I'm going through a process. I'm having a bit of an epiphany watching this. This is high fantasy. And it t- takes me back to what high fantasy was when I was reading it as a teenager, which is, it is believable. And it is actually quite serious to these characters. And it's not all about, and I do think we've kind of got a little bit spoiled, in a nice way by franchises and universes becoming or feeling the need in order to kind of be more popular, to be funny all the time. And that's not to say there aren't like lighthearted moments in this. But not everything needs to be slapstick or very hip in its comedy do you get me and so this isn't hip this isn't the uh, this is like um this is like a modern reworking of the kind of fantasy landscapes of things like Ridley Scott's legend where if you look at it now you go god this is a bit achingly embarrassing but actually it's a good treatment of a fantasy world. It's treated seriously. It's treated with respect. There's a sense of sort of awe and 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 respect and and fear and seriousness. There's seriousness in here. And you know, they're sort of trotting out all these sort of long names, like Korokul, Fledokorus, and Mordor, and Morgoth, and Sauron, and Durin. You know, all this kind of stuff. But you know what? Keeping that stuff serious and consistent and not having an arched eyebrow about it all the time makes it all the richer, I think, for immersion, for immersion. So two episodes have landed. I'm going to run through them quickly. I, I you know, I, I you know, the, the headline is I found myself, despite myself, really drawn in and really quite captivated by them. It looks absolutely stunning. If you can watch it on a big screen, absolutely watch it on a big screen. It looks stunning. The CGI I had real concerns about the CGI. This is immersive fantasy. This is immersive fantasy, fantasy in a way. The House of the Dragon is more sort of, I mean, it's not, it's not. But it's almost more realist, it's realist fantasy. You, believe, you know, even the CGI, there's a realism to it. Whereas this isn't meant to be. And I realise now that that thing I was striving for or asking for from the trailers was unrealistic in a sense. What you want is a, a totally unrealistic fantasy lad. And that's what this gives us. So it starts with a young Galadriel, very young girl. She throws a boat in the water. It's a metaphor. It's a kind of parallel. It's a narrative cue. We're going to see it echoed uh, later in the in the episode. Uh, she, she creates a, she makes a paper boat and it, it starts to magically sort of become a boat and it floats away and these boys throw stones at it and we quite quickly are told everything we need to know about Galadriel here because as a a toddler almost she beats the shit out of a boy and that's cool, that's cool. Galadriel's brothers died and uh, you know there's a bit of telling about the fact that Morgoth and Morgoth and the Orcs and evil has it been cleared away there's a sense that the darkness and evil has been cleared from the earth from Middle Earth for a a start but Galadriel isn't quite Galadriel isn't quite convinced about this so she she finds herself heading up an ice wall and she's with all her kind of you know her fellow elves uh, and she there's a brilliant scene right at the beginning I thought it was really neat the way they did this they kind of gave us really early on a really neat fight scene with a ice troll and, and the ice troll was was horrendous and and this is many, many steps above PlayStation 4 CGI and monster creation. This is this is absolutely out there. <clears throat> these these are really good, well rendered monsters and fight scenes. And I really enjoyed that. You get a sense already that Galadriel, she's troubled, she's troubled. I mean Morphe Clark is she's she's dour. She's troubled. She's and that's fine we've got a troubled heroine that's that's good Does she have to be sort of all singing and all dancing with clever quips and you know funny asides no she's 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 dark she's lost her brother she feels that their things are portentous and all her elven friends Aren't, uh, aren't plugged in and aren't aware of this. We then get in a sort of, and what I quite liked, and I thought it kind of would, was it was kind of like a Middle Earth, J.R.R. Tolkien style Google Maps, where the camera would sort of, you know, float across a map, and then we'd find another part of that familiar map. And for me, this was in keeping with what, original fantasy books in the 70s and 80s, when I, when I hit upon them. What I loved about them was getting to know the map at the front of the book, getting to know the, the family tree, not remembering it and always having to flick back and forth as you're reading it going, oh yeah, where are they going? Oh, right, they're going through the mountains. The maps. And I think the maps work really well here. So we head off to meet the Harfoots. Now, this has caused a great upset with Tolkien purists because they say nothing of note or Tolkien wrote that hobbits did nothing of note up until the age of Bilbo and all that kind of stuff, which begs the question, why are we seeing the Harfoots at all then if they did nothing? And I think purists are going, well, they, they did nothing. Well, yeah, they might have done nothing, but they existed, right? They observed. And I think what this is doing quite cleverly is they're observing. They might not be changing the course of Middle Earth and history, but they're observing and they're being affected and impacted on. I was feeling lots and lots of parallels with the planet at the moment in terms of, um, you know, climate change, in terms of the specter of Mordor in the Kremlin and them turning off the energy, you know, all that kind of stuff. There are many parallels you can pick up here in this sort of universe of sort of a darkness. There's a darkness and there's a sense of darkness. And so the Harfords are just, I don't know, they're like people in Essex. Feeling a sense that the gas prices are going up and things are are not good. I'm not saying everyone in Essex looks like like a Harford. Quite the opposite. They're all very pretty. You get what I'm saying there. Lenny Henry's in there. It was really nice to see Lenny Henry. Not overplayed. Not overplayed. They all sort of have a kind of Irish accent, the Harfords, which kind of suits them. I mean, later on in episode two, we meet the dwarves. They have a Scottish accent. I kind of like that. I'm going to go with that. The costumes, the makeup, the hair. Spectacular. You can see, I mean, everyone's going, oh, no, it's cost this, it's cost this you can see where the money's gone. This isn't CGI costumes, this is this is real hair with real bits of the Shire or wherever they are in their hair. Really really good. The locations are bright and lovely, they fizz, they really fizz with a kind of electric hallucinatory aspect, which if you think about it, most people who read fantasy novels in the in the 70s were probably off their tits on acid anyway, so a slightly hallucinogenic aspect to fantasy I think is good. Um, Galadriel has garlanded as a warrior, she's seen as a great warrior, she's sent off on a boat, you could call it the ship of fools, um, where she's going to essentially be able to be sort of live forever isn't she, they're all sort of standing on a boat heading off, I thought the CGI was a bit, I thought it was a bit toy town, it was a bit, it was quite it was quite Old testament wasn't it? It was quite sort of pseudo-religious, well, very religious, and, you know, they're heading towards the light and all this kind of stuff. She's garlanded and, but, I, you know, anyway, so she's going to be sent off on this ship or the ship of fools, as I call it. There's a really nice scene just before that where she was in this wood where the dead warriors, elven warriors, are uh, immortalised by being carved out of something living. And there was a really nice line where they say, the likeness of one past preserved in the body of something living. I thought, you know, those sorts of things, that's rich, that's kind of, you know, that's that's fantasy, that's escapism, that's, it doesn't have to be a joke. doesn't always have to be a joke. Galadriel doesn't believe evil's gone. But Elrond, I like Elrond. People said he's a bit stiff. I like Elrond. Elrond played by Robert Arameo. I really like him. He's a, he's a curious chap with a with an eyebrow that's willing to go and he's thinking about stuff and he's quite tickety-boo and he's a bit alrighty there. Anyway, but he doesn't think that evil is coming. Uh, Galadriel does. Um, and so the or for Galadriel set up here quite clearly is that she's, she's got a portentous sense of darkness, uh, whereas uh, others don't. Certainly Elrond doesn't necessarily at this stage. Then we head off Google Maps whoosh, or Middle Earth Maps whoosh, to Lindon. Is it Lindon? Lindor? That's chocolates, isn't it? Where the humans live. And I like the way that humans are characterised as the hu- these humans did some work with the, with the nasty Morgoth. They, they, they did, did did bad deeds. They're not necessarily pure people. They're morally, they're amoral. They go either way. They have no loyalty to good or, or evil. They're just neutral. And in the world of fantasy gameplay, neutral is a thing. You can be a neutral character. Really nice pub scene, classic. You've got to have humans always around pubs, always around beer, nice punch in the face, nice pint intercepted, all that kind of stuff. We meet, we meet the dude with the arrows, who's that Arrondir, deer very good looking. He's almost like the um, Lord of the Rings is, um, Jean-Michel Jean-Régé Michel or whatever his name is from Bridgeton. he's that sort of suave you know he's got a very cool quiver and a bow and a sheath but sheath throws arrows you know what I mean um clearly a romance going on there between him and the healer there's a herbalist there she's kind of cool she's kind of funky I quite like her um she has a son as well called Theo Theo's a bit of a Theo's weird he's kind of got the voice of a of a 72 of year old man no he's got the voice of a 65 year old blacksmith in the body of a sort of no what is he 1515 15 year old boy um, but anyways, is there a romance between Arondir and the Herbalist? Who knows? I know that in Lord of the Rings there's a romance, wasn't there? Between an elf and a human. Is this... Ro- what I liked is, in a sense, this series already owns the idea of uh, racial difference and diversity. I mean, the elves at one point are called pointies, as in pointy ears. You know, so they have racist comments about each other. There are race issues. There are race dynamics going on. And I think that's, a, that, you know, that, that for me adds even another layer of authenticity to the multiplicity of different colors, hues, genders and what have you that are are in Middle Earth. I think it makes it even richer. It's an even richer melting pot of difference um but anyway so this elf arundir who's been on an outpost he's he's on an outpost in in the human land of linden um they're being disbanded because apparently everyone believes that the evil has gone the evil has gone and they're like oh shit but of course this is a problem for arundir because of course he kind of fancies the herbalist he's quite nice he's quite fanciable absolutely but someone comes along and this is what i love this is there's so much of good fantasy is rural isn't it? It's got to be rural. You've got to have like a green sort of, you know, sort of grassy knoll with a kind of little alley, with a kind of path and then, you know, with a little fence and then they bring their cow in and when they milk the cow, black goo comes out of the cow. Black goo is always, out of an udder, the sign of the devil. This is demon spawn. This is evil incarnate coming out of the udder of a cow and this peaks, obviously, Aaron Deer's interest, the uh, suave elf and he's like, what the hell's going on? We also discover that Theo, the herbalist's son, has got a broken sword, which I forget the name of it. Is it Nadil or Nadil or something? This broken sword was used in a battle, but it's... What I love about its design and what I love about broken things in the world of Tolkien is you don't want to get cut on them. If you get cut on them, you can be infected. And so he's got this, this broken, dark sort of sword and it's really gnarly and it's death-like and it's under the floorboards and it glows and it does shit. So, you know, you know something awful is going to happen there. And so the end of this episode kind of ended with a sort of comet flying through the sky. And I love this comet moment. It was a sort of, you know, it was, it, I rarely think of Middle Earth and look, think of the stars. Like I rarely think of Middle Earth and think of the sea. So seeing Galadriel on this boat out at sea was quite something. And of course, this this bloody, you know, this 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 comet is flying and flying flying. I thought it was going to hit the boat. Uh, did it hit the boat? Maybe it did hit the boat. Kind of hit the boat. Anyway, the boat gets smashed and the boat goes into the sea and the water and all these other elves are dying and Galadriel has already jumped out of the water. I don't know how I feel about seeing elves swim. I don't think of elves swimming i don't know why um but the comet starts to fly and the comet lands and it crashes we as as it was flying through the sky we could see the tree people we could see the tree you know the living trees that was nice that was nice to see them they're still hanging out and then of course once it hit we have this sort of fetal image of a body of a person in the glow of the heat of the embers of this comet that's landed in the harford's are there and i thought that was you know it's quite magic i mean i must admit i thought at the end of this episode I thought, is, is that sauron Is that Sauron? because i have to say he's called the stranger in the castle is see. You can't get much much stranger than landing in a comet. And then the Harfoots kind of uh, find out. And I like the Harfoots. The Harfoots are really good actors. The two young girls, or the two young women who play the two Harfoots that kind of get involved with this stranger. Really good, really, I really like them. Really authentic, really off the cuff. And again, it's not too peppered with self-conscious wit and comedy but there's a naturalism between them which is very real and I, I find the sense of community amongst the Harfoots really warm and really enticing just like I do you do in the Shire of The Hobbit and so there's enough here there are enough reminiscences here for you to feel located and orientated quite quickly I think um, and you're and I don't know about you but I'm kind of willing to go with each diverse race that we've met thus far so of course we're left at the end of episode one wondering who the fuck is this guy who's just landed in the middle of the field whilst galadriel is in the sea swimming somewhere and of course a leaf lands does it land on elrond's hand or the, the head of elrond or the chief elrond or whoever the sort of chief elf is with the awful hair that looks like liam neeson and a leaf lands and of course the same blackness in a sense that was in the udders of the cow is on the on the leaf all is not good in the land of middle earth mordor is coming and that's episode one episode two Gal- Gal- Galadriel swimming back. Swim, 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 swim. Uh, the halffoots obviously discover the stranger. Nice acting, as I say, between them. Arondir, um, a rather suave elf with his bow and arrow in the human land with his herbalist. They know that something bad has happened because they go and look at the burnt-out village. They've seen, because of the, the milk from the udder, the, all the black stuff from the udder, they go, oh, there's something, where is this from? And they go over there and they've burnt out. So, you know, there's evidence, there's evidence of bad things happening bad things which i have to say again the sense of what's going on in our world at the moment is just weird you know the invasion of ukraine that sense of just there's something bad and sort of there's a there's a sort of disease creeping over the land and i like that i think this does that very well the sense of a, a disease creeping across the land we meet Celebrimbor, Celebrimbor, I mean, you know, with a name like that, you can't take that, so you can't say that name and just hold a straight face, but they do. Frustrated artist, he's kind of, you know, he, he's the guy, Celebrimbor is the elf who uh, Elrond is gonna help to create the forges. They're gonna build forges. This is a bit like us trying to build renewable energy quickly. They wanna build the forges, and I guess in the forges, they're gonna make the rings, aren't they? The, the, the rings that will bind us all and all this kind of stuff. So we get a little bit of a backstory there. Um, Celebr- Celebrimbor is, is a bit of a, uh, he's a bit he's a bit of an artist he's a bit of a sort of miserable artist he's a bit sort of protective of his work and he's a bit he's a bit chippy he's a bit chippy said anyway Elrond says he knows how to get these forges made he knows just the guys to get a forge made know the guys to make the forges the dwarves and I have to say the dwarves were my absolute guilty pleasure of episode two I thought they were absolutely fantastic um Prince Durin Prince Durin is lovely and he's another example of Prince Durin he's funny but he's not having to deliver wise cracking jokes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I fucking loved Thor: Love and Thunder. I fucking love Guardians of the Galaxy. I love Ant Man. I love those ones that are quick, witty, wise. You know, wise cracking, whip smart, all that stuff. I love it. But there's also a time and a place to be serious and real. And you can be a funny character without cracking jokes. And for me, Prince Durin was that Scottish dour arched eyebrow and what I loved about his character was him and Elrond are old mates but because Elrond's elves live live over such vast periods of time 20 years to an elf is like what a weekend a long weekend maybe but of course to Prince Durin he's got married and had kids and he feels offended that Elrond didn't pay any attention so he challenges him to a rock smashing duel and a a rock smashing competition is a great thing to get, get involved in if you've never done it do do it get two anvils anywhere near some mountains or a mine get some large rocks make sure your parents are there to make sure that the hammer or the mallet that you're using is safe and doesn't and won't and the head won't fly off the handle and and hit the shit out of things and so Elrond and Prince Durin have a contest some wonderfully evocative close-ups of dwarves heads and great big noses and and artificial ears ears made of iron and gold I mean you know sort of and, and attached I mean wow I mean you know dwarves they're made of granite they're made of granite um I thought the dwarf the dwarf kingdom in the in the in the caves in the mountains absolutely stunning once again not feeling although it's got to be created by CGI you don't feel it you just get I just luxuriate in it it's just oh my god look at this this is astonishing this is wonderful the only problem I had with this episode if i had any, a big problem with it and it was a bit of a problem is the stranger I'm finding the stranger he's a little bit like Stig of the Dump or um, Wurzel gummage? it's just annoying. It's like, what are you? What, what is wrong with you? Say something. Why are you just wandering around moaning? He's sort of, you know, the poor little half-foot girl comes along and he goes, Rrr! and he blows all these trees over and she says, say, fuck, say, calm down, mate. Calm down, we want to give you some food. And he eats it horribly. The stranger, he starts to draw in the dirt. And when he's drawing in the dirt, God knows what the stranger's drawing in the dirt. There's a connection between him drawing the dirt. And I think this half-foot, is it Eleanor half-foot? Whatever her name is. Um, it is Eleanor. Uh, her father breaks his ankle, oh, god it was a really horrible snap as well, really horrible. So the stranger can make things happen, I don't know, who is this fucking stranger? I keep thinking could he be Gandalf, but no, he's a bit stupid. Um, is he, got a it's too big for God, I keep thinking could he be someone, is he Sauron, does he become Sauron, I don't know. Uh, I seem to have seen Sauron as, as a much younger person. Um, and this uh, the detail I like about this poor Eleanor, this Harford's father who breaks his ankle, Lenny and the rest of the kind of Harfords say, "Well, is he? Yeah, quite tough. Tough lifestyle. So, is he going to be able to migrate? No sympathy. No light. Like, How's his foot? Just like can he migrate? Because the Harfords keep moving. They have to keep on moving. And I love that again. These little details. I love a world that's painted so believably. So you think the Harfords are going to have to migrate from land to land to land. They haven't sat upon or hit upon the shire. So that's a lovely detail too. Then we go back to the sea. I wasn't again. I'm not. Enti- I wasn't entirely convinced by the sea. I'm still like, ill at ease with an elf at sea i don't know why um but anyway she uh, galadriel she kind of she finds a, a raft of survivors of something and there's this water snake or a water worm or it's just a great big fucking monster under the sea that's eating things um and so she tries to get on board the boat but you can feel their prejudice because she's an elf and I thought again they're baking into the very world of Middle Earth prejudice racism uh you know a sort of suspicion of other a suspicion of other races and other people I thought that was all really good um, And then we flip back to Elrond and Prince Durin and you know again you know these are two cultures two varied cultures that don't necessarily see eye to eye they were being brought together through friendship and there's a really nice scene um, where they were in the lift when they were heading up in the lift and I thought, I really liked that sort of, you know, as, as as Durin played it brilliantly, you know, he was really hurt and all that kind of stuff. You see, the comedy, there was a nice bit of comedy between Elrond and Prince Durin trying to, you know, resurrect their friendship and Elrond making amends and what have you, and, and Durin's wife meeting Elrond and all that kind of stuff. But again, it didn't need wise, cracking, clever one-liners and comedy city, comedy centre jokes. It was just nice. It was warm, it made you smile, it made you chuckle. You won't laugh out loud, but it doesn't have to be laugh out loud, and no, I think that's really bloody important. Uh, beautiful sapling tree. Tell me about the significance of the sapling tree guys there's a tree they're growing a tree I know the trees are important all the power comes from the trees that's part of the issue isn't it with Sauron and and the rings and all that kind of stuff anyway so Galadriel is is then finds herself I can't remember what happens I think all the guys on the on the raft get eaten by something she's left with one guy quite a good looking chap bit of romance possibly can happen there she kind of bonds with him he's a human and he says that his family everyone the orcs came and so she's so she's right her hunch was right evil still pervades evil still stalks the land and so she says, "You're going to take me there right now. You're going to take me there right now." But she forgets they're in the middle of the sea on a tiny, tiny raft. It was literally the raft of the Medusa. Um, and so we then cut back to the herb. We then cut back to the story involving Arondir, the humans. You know where there's you know milk coming. There's black stuff coming out of udders. There's burnt, burnt villages. Um, there's the sword you know the half the broken sword under the herbalist son's floorboards and all that kind of stuff so darkness kind of all creeping around here so we go back and we and, and the boy the son he he looks under the floorboards and then an eyeball comes an eyeball I was like what the fuck is that and of course we have our first orc scene and wow to be reminded how utterly disgusting an orc is it was like being in Wetherspoons in Streatham on a Friday it was so believable you know the just the, the fine bits of hair on his red sort of raw skin horrible horrible orc brilliant design brilliant smell you could smell him you could smell him and then a fight scene developed uh all of the stunts and the action were really believable i, I really liked it and so they try and kill the you know they try and c- 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 overwhelm this orc but clearly the orc being there there's de- death and and terrible things are coming, aren't they, to middle of Oh, my God, Galadriel was so right. And so I think the series, just in these two episodes, has done a really nice job of just tightening that spring. It's just tightening the spring, tightening the spring. I think the extent to which they bounce between stories, they're pacing it just right. You might not like some of those. For example, my least convincing scenes are the ones with the stranger and uh, the ones with Galadriel in the sea. They're still beautifully done. I don't know how they get the sea around Galadriel, so it sort of moves more slowly than normal water not entirely sold on those scenes, but they, they're they good and you're with them for just the right amount of time. It's moving from scene to scene to scene and it's giving us enough detail. And it's giving us, it's allowing us to construct a real tapestry of believability to the world around them with the details like migration of the Harfoots and all that you get a sense of the world you get a sense that this this world has existed for eons before even where we've come into it and it will exist for eons into the future and that is quite an achievement and so i don't know if you remember one of our major concerns about this show from the beginning was the fact that they weren't going to start small they're going to start large with an era and how are they going to find the personal stories i think they're doing a very very successful job of that you know i care about um Arunda and the herbalist their little romance, and uh, the Herbalist's son's obviously got terrible access to this this sword. This broken sword means he's, he's almost a sort of conduit for evil of some, way, of some form or, or something. Um, I really like the Harfoots. I like Lenny and, and co, though Lenny's not a major character, but I like the two young girls who are looking after the stranger. That's very believable, that world. Um, Galadriel and the elves. I like Elrond, I really like Elrond. And for me, episode two, the strength of episode two was all around the dwarves. And of course we discover that Peter Mullen is Prince Durin's father, King Durin. I mean, Peter Mullen comes in for just a moment and he's the King Dwarf. What the fuck isn't there to like about this? King fucking Peter Mullen, who was just a wondrous, wonderful actor. Can I just ask though, what was in the box? What were they looking at in the box? Was it a sapling? Is it a sapling? Is it gold? Is it the finger of something? what is it the horn of something i don't know i don't know um really eerie scene underneath underground aron deer uh you know a svelte um elf who's in love with the herbalist he goes underground brilliant this was like straight out of dungeons and dragons this is fantasy role play D- down in a sort of mine shaft looking left looking right shots down corridors something moving in the distance what the fuck is it he sort of goes through water comes out of water sits looks bubbles come i was getting stressed hands grab him from behind who the fuck are they where are they where is he what's happened to him is he dead i hope i hope they don't pull their punches in this show like they don't ever in Game of Thrones uh, with killing people. I hope we are going to lose people. Surprisingly, I think, I, you know, I hope it doesn't go too childlike. I hope it doesn't appeal to the it doesn't. I hope it's not too disney I hope we lose characters that we get attached to. That would be really good. A couple of things I didn't understand. Maybe you could clarify for me. Did Galadriel jump into the water on purpose to drown? Because he then, the guy on the raft, dives down to save her. If so, why? Didn't really understand that. Um, Who's the stranger? Why should we care about the stranger? Funny line from one of the Harfoots when they said, I don't know, I don't talk Firefly. See, not too much. Very neat, very warm, very cosy. The whole thing is very warm and very cosy. I I love the sort of, there's a, when you feel safe in the landscape and the communities of this, you feel safe. And so when you go to those other environments where you're not going to be so safe. So when there's that sinister sort of ice troll at the beginning of episode one, and when you've got the orc under the floorboards here, or underground with Aaron when he was kind of, you know, wonder what the fuck's that down the end of that corridor, you feel really unsettled. And so it's doing a really good job of not over-revealing its hand, because I think that's always the danger with anything, horror films, anything. As soon as you reveal the monster or reveal what the thing is, you know, they took a gamble by revealing an orc. But that's great, it's like they're just trickling. They're trickling like black tar, the evil, that's coming and so the evil that's coming you can feel it very 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 the analogy is perfect it's seeping into middle-earth and these first two episodes do that really well I personally think these are two fantastic episodes I'm really enjoying it I'm really invested I'm convinced I've, I've bought in I like the seriousness of it. It's, and I actually think it's a really nice antidote to the self-knowingness of so much content that's out there at the moment. Everything is riffing on the fact that it's content. Everything's kind of riffing on the fact that it's so clever, it can, it can be even cleverer about itself. And this isn't trying to do that. This isn't self-referential. This isn't pretending that it's kind of, you know, it's in the know on something. This is what it is. This is set in a fantasy world and the characters in it take it seriously. And I think that's fine. Sat alongside other dramas, I think that's fine. So I would fully recommend this. Total escapism. Brilliant to pop on on a Sunday afternoon and immerse yourself on a big screen. For more film and family fun, don't forget to click the subscribe button and make sure to click the bell to never miss an update.